Okay, so we are st still doing our series, Eternal Life, What's Next? In which we're talking about what happens after death. We're talking about heaven. Heaven looks a little bit different as we kind of go through in the future. Um, actually, we several weeks ago, we gave out a timeline that uh, just sort of, it looks a little bit complicated there, but just serves as sort of an outline. And then we're now kind of going back and just filling in the gaps. Last time we talked about present, well, actually it was two times ago, about present heaven. Where are we going to go if we die now and if we belong to Christ? Last time we talked about the return of Jesus and that's going to be a glorious event. I mean, it's Jesus is coming back with glory and power with a great shout. There's going to be trumpets. There's going to be angels. And uh, it's definitely going to be the biggest event of human history up to that point. Also, at the same time, is the first resurrection. We're told blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection. And that refers to those who belong to Christ. And, of course, we get our glorified bodies at that time. Also, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's just this grand celebration when the bride and the bridegroom come together to live forever and ever. And that's literally. Uh, all of us will be there. It'll be the first big event that all the saints of all cultures, all generations, we all gather together. So today we're going to talk about the millennium. And I'd like for us to start with Revelation chapter 20. Really, the entire chapter is just very clear, very chronological. But let's read the first 10 verses. Then I saw an angel, and of course, this is after Jesus comes back and all that. An angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Okay, so... The devil, Satan, he's called the dragon at times. He's talked about the serpent of old. And the angel threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw the thrones and they, and they sat on them. And judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life. This is referring to the first resurrection we talked about last week. And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life into the thousand years we're completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, so the millennium is the thousand year reign of Christ. Is this a literal 1,000 years? Well, we don't know, but it is significant that just in those 10 verses, it's mentioned a thousand years is mentioned six times. So I think it probably is literal 
the fact that it keeps mentioning it over and over and over. And when is the millennium? It's after Jesus returns. Now, let's, let me kind of say a couple of things. There are some people who say the millennium is just figurative. It's all figurative. But that doesn't really, it doesn't really read that way, does it? And also, there's so many passages, so I, I don't think that's a very logical conclusion. And if you say this is figurative, you, you know, you know, you're 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 saying all sorts of things are figurative. You know, you manage to throw the return of Jesus is figurative. Another, even more popular stance, especially in the last probably 15, 20 years, is that there are people who say that we're living in the millennium now. But I have a hard time with that interpretation too, because. Uh, I don't see the devil being chained up and not having any power and not deceiving the nations. I think he's very active. You know, he's still very active. And also, uh, Jesus isn't reigning here. I mean, sure, the church has authority, but Jesus isn't reigning as king. There's still evil men and women who are reigning in various pockets throughout the earth. Uh, corruption rules we could almost say everywhere in every country. So I cannot really accept that we are living in the millennium now. Again, that is just, it just doesn't line up with scriptures. So we're taking the position, which I believe is a very strong biblical position. It's a position that's been held by the majority of Bible scholars all throughout church history, that the millennium comes after Jesus returns. So let's just kind of look over the order of what happens in these thousand years, you know, uh, um, and, um, and we might can also refer to verses 11 through 15. Well, maybe we'll kind of mention this first a little bit. And this is just a chart, uh, the millennium. We're assuming this is a literal thousand years. At the beginning is when Jesus returns. There's the first resurrection. Jesus takes the throne as king. Satan is bound for a thousand years. We also, uh, we didn't see it in this passage, but we looked at it last week, the marriage supper of the lamb. And for a thousand years, there's the reign of Jesus. And it's, and over and over, and we're gonna look at some of these verses a little bit later, but he reigns with complete, perfect justice in righteousness. There is total peace going on in this world for a thousand years. And, and also, we will reign with him. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. I'm just trying to go over the order. Then at the very end of the thousand years, there is Satan's release from his prison, the nations rebel, and the rebellion is defeated almost immediately. Let's kind of, let's kind of look at verses 11 through 15 and we can see this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence heaven and earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. By the way, if we've genuinely been born again, had the second birth, our names are in that book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So uh, the uh, chart that we just looked at, uh, also at the very end is the great white throne judgment, the second resurrection, the, the second resurrection and, uh, and Satan is thrown and Hades into the lake of fire. Now, the good thing is that if our names are in the book of life, we do not participate in the white throne judgment. We pass out of judgment into life, as John 5, 24 says. Okay, what else do we know about this millennium? We will be reigning with Christ. We will have our resurrected bodies. We talked about that last time. They're going to be immortal bodies. We're going to bear the image of the heavenly. In other words, we're, we're going to be like Christ in many ways, not omnipresent and not omni, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, with all knowledge and being able to see in the future and all that. There's nowhere it says that, but we are going to be, we're not going to be bound to the flesh and blood. We're going to have a glorified body. We will not die. We will not get sick. Our bodies will not decay as they do in this, in this uh, 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 earth. Uh, yes, there's going to be non-believers here on earth. Well, you might say, how does that happen? Well, because... Uh, there's probably from best estimates from reading the book of Revelation, there's going to be about a third, maybe up to a half of the population in the final judgments of this world are going to be people who are going to die. And that includes, um, you know, many Christians that are going to be martyrs. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of people who are going to continue living. There's going to be mortals there. That's who we are going to be reigning. The nations are still going to be here because it talks about, you know, that Satan at the very end, he's going to try to deceive the nations again. And uh, many of the parables of Jesus speak about this glorious kingdom and our actually reigning with him. Um, the millennium is when we will see the fullness of the kingdom of God. Yes, when Jesus came to earth the first time, he introduced us to the kingdom. He preached about the kingdom. A lot of his parables were about the kingdom of God. But it is still not in its fullness. It remains in this age a spiritual kingdom. That's what Jesus told Pilate, you know, when he was questioned right before his death. You know, Acts 1.6, Jesus was getting ready. The last conversation the disciples have with Jesus before he ascends is, when are you restoring the kingdom? They want to know well, this kingdom, there's still a lot of things left to be done. When is that going to happen? And uh, and basically, Jesus said, it's, it's, it's later. It's not for you to know the exact time. So we are talking about the kingdom of God, that kingdom that Hebrews 12 talks about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Or in Daniel 2, it talks about a kingdom be set up in the last days, which will never be destroyed. It will crush and put an end to all the other kingdoms. 
That's the kingdom of God that's going to come in its fullness during the millennium. And many, many of the Old Testament passages speak of this time. It's in the millennium that Jesus sets up his eternal kingdom. Let's just look at just a few of these passages very quickly. And if I go too quickly, you know, just take screenshots, you know, jot them down, go back, look at them. And, um, you know, there's something inside of me that wants to apologize for just giving so many passages, but this is really a teaching as much as it, as much as it is a preaching. And Christians, sadly, don't know exactly what's going to happen. And so I just, and, and there's also a lot of misinformation out there. So we need to kind of be clear. And I really encourage you to study these things. So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, this is Daniel talking, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man is coming, was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. <clears throat> and it's obvious in the, in the context that this happens at the very end of this age. And to him was given, to whom? The son of man, Jesus, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all the peoples, nations, and men of every nation, of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And if you kind of read on down in verse 18, it says, but the saints are the highest one. Who are the saints? They're the ones genuinely born again. They will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Now you might say, but I thought this was a thousand years. No, this is just the first thousand years that we're talking about. In the next few weeks or sessions, we're going to talk about what happens after the millennium. But the kingdom of God comes in its fullness in the millennium. And this is what was talked about in Daniel. And by the way, a few minutes ago, I talked about Daniel 244. You look at that. It talks about a kingdom which is never going to be destroyed. Uh, actually, I do have it. In the days of those kings, the king of the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. This is the kingdom of God in its fullness. Ezekiel 37 is another place. Starting in verse 24. My servant David, now who is that? He's talking about the descent of David. It's Jesus, will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd. So he'll be king and he'll be shepherd. And they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statues and observe them. They will live on the land I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived. And they will live on it. They and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And David, my servant will be their prince forever. That has not happened yet. That's reserved for the millennium. And I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It'll be an everlasting covenant with them. Now, it's already he's given us a covenant of peace in our hearts, but it's going to flow over. 
and I will place them and multiply them and, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. By the way, Revelation 21 talks about this. It uses actually quotes from here. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Speaking of the millennium, or it starts in the millennium. I think some of this probably kind of speaks of what happens afterwards as well. Micah chapter 4. And by the way, this is also found in Isaiah 2, exactly, almost word for word. We'll read Micah's account. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That hasn't happened yet. Now, some of these things there may be glimpses of, like little previews, but that really hasn't happened in its fullness. And then it goes on, and he... Speaking of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, that is, will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. It's speaking of the future, isn't it? The millennium. Okay, there's more places. Jeremiah. I'm just trying to select one passage from each of the major prophets. Um, I could probably select five or six passages, actually. But in Jeremiah 33, verse 14 and 15, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I'll cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth. Who is that? Jesus. And he will execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Isaiah. Actually, Isaiah has the most. Uh, there's a lot. But since it's right around Christmas time, let's read Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be no end to the increase of his government, or of peace, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now you may say, but well, but verse six, hasn't that already happened? Yes. And, and I think this is a good example. And one of the reasons I chose it is a good example of many of the passages that talk about Jesus coming. What people didn't understand, he, he was really going to come in two different times. The first time, about 2000 years ago, and that's when he was going to introduce us to the kingdom, the spiritual aspect. And he's going, and, and, and the spiritual birth 
that allows us to be a part of that kingdom and to have our <clears throat> names written in the book of life. And But obviously, when it talks about no end to the increase of his government and he's establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness forevermore, that's obviously talking about what happens when he comes back again. <clears throat> so we can... We can go on. In fact, if we had time, I could probably go on and on, like in Joel chapter 3, verse 18. I'm going to read this one. It's not up here, but it says, In that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord. Or Habakkuk chapter 2, like verse 14, it talks about the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Still hasn't happened, but it will in the millennium. Or in Zechariah, like in chapter 14, it talks about how the Lord, the Messiah specifically, will be king over the whole earth, over all the nations. And then a little bit later, it talks about how and all the nations will come flocking to Jerusalem to celebrate in the uh, in in fest in the uh, festival times, Malachi chapter one it talks about his name will be great among all the nations and in every place his name will be glorified. And if we had time, I could take you to Zephaniah, Haggai, actually almost every prophet, major and minor prophet, speaks somewhat of this millennial reign. And, and even when you go to like Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, the prophecy of Zacharias, or even when the shepherds, when they kind of were speaking to, um, you know, uh, when the angel was speaking to the shepherds, what did he say? That this is going to be a savior. He's going to bring peace on earth. That hasn't happened yet. So this is the millennium. It's the beginning of the rest of eternity the first thousand years, and it's going to be glorious. It really is. There'll still be mortals there. There's still going to be nations. Actually, the nations even continue even afterwards, but we'll talk about that in a, another week. So we need to know, and we, when we read the scriptures, we need to say, this is our destiny. This is where we're going. Okay, just a few questions and observations. What? Where will we be living? Do we get to decide? We don't know. But we do know that Jerusalem will be the capital. It'll be the center of government. It'll be the center of teaching because the nations come streaming to it, right? Uh, so we can probably assume that we will spend quite a bit of time there. In fact, when I take uh, groups of people to Jerusalem, one of the reasons I say, well, listen, it's in your destiny. You can spend a lot of time here, you know, uh, and I'm and today we're just talking about the first thousand years, you know, uh, so get to know it, you know. Uh, uh, but I think it's also possible that we'll be ruling in different places because the earth is big. And remember, there's still going to be mortals. There's still going to be non-believers. Now, some of those will probably be coming to know the Lord, probably through us. But at least Satan and his blinders won't be there. There's still going to be nations. There's still going to be cities because, you know, the parable of the minus talks about, you know, if we're faithful here, oh, uh, to this one, you can be over five cities. Oh, you can be over 10 cities. You can be over two cities. So there's a, you know, 
We're going to be reigning where we're going to be living. It may be where we're ruling or reigning, part of the team that rules in a particular area. We just don't know. But we do know that Jerusalem is going to be a probably a, a base and some, a place that we're going to frequently be there. We also know that the kingdom, we've already kind of looked at this, will be ruled in justice and righteousness. Uh, we can assume that uh, things like innovation, which we've enjoyed the last two, three, four hundred years on this earth, that there's going to be a purity in innovation. That probably means in technology, maybe concerning the environment, medicine. You might say, well, we're not going to get sick. Why should we need medicine? Well, there's going to be a lot of people who will be. And let's say even if it starts off with only one billion people that are non-believers, how can that, that can really expand in a, in a thousand years? I mean, look, we're, we're, we're doubling the world's population every, um, or we have been, you know, every, uh, you know, uh, 15, 20 years. So, so the world could, get, could be very well populated. You know, governance will be perfect. It's not going to be communism. It's not going to be capitalism. It's not going to be socialism. It's not going to be all those isms. Because all those, if you really examine it, and we can argue one is better than the other or something like that, but they're all broken systems, aren't they? There'll be justice and righteousness at all levels. And who's going to be king? King Jesus. He will be king. The arts. There's no reason not to think that the arts won't be um, there because that's part of who God's created us. He's created us in his image. God is a, he's, he's, he's creative. Just look at this world. So probably the creative streaks in us and parts of us will probably flourish at this time. But I know this, they'll be done in righteousness and there'll be a creativity that this world has never seen. Uh, there's going to be learning about the ways of God. We saw that in Isaiah 2, Micah 4, and we're going to be teaching people. Because remember, mortal people will still be struggling with sin. They'll still be in the flesh, and they need to be taught the ways of God. And that's probably one of the ways that we will be ruling. We don't know all the details. One thing that we do know, and this is very, very important, is our roles in the millennium will be determined by our faithfulness here in this age. Look at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 or the parable of the minas in Luke 15, 19. 19, it is. You know, Luke 19, you know, there's a, a man, he was an owner, and uh, he went away to receive the kingdom. I mean, look at the phrases. You know it's talking about the last days. And, and he left his servants to be faithful until he gets back and until he brings the kingdom back. And, um, and, uh, and that's the parable where, you know, if they're faithful, okay, good. Then be over five cities. Oh, great. You'll be over two cities. And, and so every one of these parables points out that our faithfulness to the things of God in this earth, mainly spreading the spiritual kingdom, seeing people come into the kingdom, that's all very, very necessary in this age. That is our mission. 
That's our responsibility. And our faithfulness will determine our roles in the, you know, in the millennium and possibly even afterwards. Okay, so there's a lot we don't know, but still we, there's quite a bit we do know, right? And as we look at the brokenness and the corruption of this world, we can be hopeful that one day things will be different. Not maybe, we know it's going. It's true that this world, we're sure we're supposed to make a positive influence in this world, but you know what? We're not going to change the basic sinfulness, the corruption, the brokenness, you know, we can do that one by one by introducing people into the kingdom of God. But it's really going to be the day that's coming. And I believe it's coming soon when the kingdom of God will be here in its fullness. And Jesus will be our king. He'll be our shepherd forever and ever. And this world is going to be ruled in justice and righteousness and peace and joy. We didn't even look at some of the verses about, about joy, but especially in Isaiah. We will be given also the privilege of ruling with Christ, the Messiah. Faithfulness in this life is very important. It determines the role, the responsibilities that we have in the next world. And by the way, and I've thought about this too, we won't get tired you know, with our responsibilities. You know, we won't get discouraged. We won't get disillusioned because we're not going to have our fleshly body to, con to contend with. Will there be challenges? I'm sure. But there'll be the type of challenges that refresh us, not bring us down. Because now we're in flesh and blood, but we'll have our glorified bodies and we will be able to live above sin. We'll be, we'll be living uh We'll be living for Christ and with him and under him. Okay, let's pray. Father, There's we thank you for what's coming. Lord, that hope is coming one day. And when we look at this world of brokenness and corruption, we can, we can say with confidence, this world is passing away. And it is, and it's doing it rapidly. And that you have prepared a world for us and a kingdom that is going to be, it's, uh, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be the glorious reign of your kingdom. Lord, we look forward to that. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to this in such a way that we can live today uh, with our eyes on what's ahead. And we can be just sharing the news of this, of your kingdom and what you have for us, and, he, and the gift of eternal life. Lord, burn these things inside of us. Let that be our passion here on earth. Thank you, Lord. Amen.